back everyone and thanks for choosing to join us here on the sound logic podcast today we are discussing album number 73 on rolling stone magazine's top 500 greatest albums of all time list this is loveless by my bloody valentine I'm almost tempted just to dive right into the details because I feel like all I want to do is just start talking about this music. <laughs> I think some context would be good. I, I think so. Yeah. And and I'm I'm curious, and I I'd love for you to leave a comment if you're listening. How many people are familiar with this band or or grew up with this music? Uh, but yeah. anyways, without further ado, let's let's just jump into some details. 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 So Loveless was released uh, November 1991, and this is the second studio album by the band, uh, released by Creation Records in the UK. Uh, If you don't know, My Bloody Valentine is an Irish band, I -hmm. think near Dublin, but don't quote me on that. Um, This album was written mostly by guitarist, uh, and I guess unofficial, or maybe slightly official, band leader Kevin Shields. A few of the other members get some co-writing credits. Um, Belinda Butcher wrote, I think, about a third of the lyrics for the album, uh, but Shields wrote most of the music, uh, if not all the music, with some co-writing credits. So he's he's the creative behind the band. Uh, I'll, we'll, I'll come back to that in a little bit. Charted number 24 in the UK. I did not find a US chart number, so it might not have charted. I couldn't even find some good sales numbers. The most I got was certified 100,000 in the UK. Um, I didn't see another number on the list that I looked at, which is extremely low um, yeah. compared compared to some of the lower ones have been, you know, a few hundred thousand. And and I think about something like, you know, Velvet Underground and Nico, which like yep. might not have sold a lot, but it's just so radically influential over the years. But this is a very low number comparatively. Um, so this album, some some notes here. This album is considered a landmark album of the shoegaze genre. Ben, is that <laughs> is that a, a genre you've heard of before? It's definitely a genre I've heard before, but I've never heard of this term. Okay, uh, yeah, I, there's something uh, about the <laughs> sound here that I'm. It's like solidifying a lot of the music that I've. I felt like I resonated with as a, a teenager and college age okay. person, um, at least influenced by this kind of sound. But I don't think I would have ever had a word for it. And I'm wondering if if uh, terms that came along a little bit later, like emo, kind of replaced shoegaze. Oh, interesting. From just sort of like the the time period that we would have uh, hit our our pinnacle music listening years. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, I like I like that descriptive um we can all picture being at a a, a show or a, a dance or a concert um the sort of wallflowers 
enjoying the music, but just kind of like with their head down, staring at their shoes and <laughs> the sort of melancholy uh, of uh, a lot of the grunge and emo um, music of our childhood, I think it draws from the sort of shoegaze uh, mood, I guess, moodiness. Right. So just a little background on that. So shoegaze is a subgenre of Indian alt rock characterized by its ethereal mixture of obscured vocals, guitar distortion and effects, feedback, and overwhelming volume. It emerged in Ireland and the UK in the late 80s among neo-psychedelic groups who stood motionless during live performance <laughs> in a detached, non-confrontational state. The name comes from the heavy use of effects pedals as the performers were often looking down at their pedals during concerts. So that's where the shoegaze uh, <laughs> name comes from. And I wonder, uh, could you name any other bands that are kind of considered in the shoegaze genre? There's definitely some, um, I don't know if, if this band qualifies, but they, I'm, I'm hearing the cranberries in this music, and I'm hearing smashing pumpkins a little bit in this music. okay yep yeah 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 kind of like droney sounding music that's very um effects gar- guitar driven even the, the little bit that i got into stone temple pilots i think uh you know very different kind of sound but uh but really leaning heavily on some of those things that you just said so back to kind of the the musicianship here and the interaction in recording. So bassist Debbie Googe didn't perform on the album at all, even though she receives a credit in the album. So so this is one of those bands where, like, just in this very small amount of reading I did, Kevin Shields is, like, kind of the creative drive behind the band. But what seems different is that the other members don't seem to mind that much. It reminds me of when we talked about the talking heads uh, and oh, remain yeah. in light and how uh, the main guy, his name is escaping me, uh, but their lead guy was, um, you know, they were, they were upset that he was kind of taking the reins and not really considering some of their input and not crediting them properly, et cetera, et cetera. In this case, so, so Debbie Googe is a bassist and she said that, at first, she, she was going to the studio and just kind of felt superfluous. And and then so she just stopped going less because uh, Shields just played <laughs> her, her bass lines. And, and also, Kevin Shields played all of uh, Belinda Butcher's guitar parts. And she said uh, she didn't mind. <laughs> so they're, they're like part of the band that formed and, and continued to be their, their live band. But when they recorded at least this album, he did most of it. Uh, but but interesting that they there doesn't seem to be much protest, <laughs> which mm-hmm. which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, the album, this album, Loveless, was largely recorded in mono sound, which is quite unique for a, a later recording like this. I, I mean, much later yeah. than you know the '60s when people were getting out of mono. Uh, and Shields felt it important that the album sound consisted of quote. The guitar smack bang in the middle and no chorus, <laughs> no modulation effect. So it's certainly very loud and it's right in the center. That's that's for dang sure if you've listened to it. After the album came out, 
the owner of Creation Records, Alan McGee, dropped the band uh, from the label as he found Shields too difficult to work with, <laughs> and also was allegedly a factor to have contributed to the band, uh, the label's bankruptcy eventually. Yeah. Then My Bloody Valentine uh, struggled to record a follow-up, and they broke up in 97, uh, making Loveless their last full-length release until uh, their album MBV in 2013, so 20, 22 years before they did another <laughs> another album. I wonder if that has something to do with the low sales numbers, um, with the, you know, the, the distrust for the band. There were some comment that i read somewhere this week that uh they refused to let the label put their name on the album anywhere oh <laughs> i guess they must have consented because it's in the, it, it's, the album it's on there we can yeah. see but yeah <laughs> the, you know the the clashing of that um the, dropping them from the label i wonder if there was just like we don't know what to do with you guys so we're not gonna promote it we're gonna um do as little as possible and uh who cares if anyone ever listens to this? <laughs> Interest, very, very interesting stuff. Um, uh, one other thing I want to talk about before we move on is uh, the the tour. When they toured this album, the tour became inf- infamous for the volume. <laughs> uh, NME editor Danny Kelly attended a show. He described it more like torture than than entertainment. He said, "I have, I had a half pint of lager. They hit their first note." And it was so loud that it sent the glass hurling uh-huh. off the table. <laughs> um, well. In December 2000, Mojo Magazine rated the tour the second loudest in history. <laughs> wow. Uh, and there was another, uh, the press accused the band of criminal negligence for time. Uh, there was a song, not on this album, but they played on tour where they played white noise <laughs> at, a, at a level that, that was uh, painful. Wow, <laughs> uh, and, and it was kind of like people would go through stage. I was reading another thing. People would go through stages of like being, like shocked, and then kind of being in pain, and then kind of, you know, <laughs> going numb to it. Like it's just, which is like a ridiculous volume level level, wow. which I guess was a part of this subgenre of yeah. uh, pushing volume or or aspects of volume to the limit. So yeah. there's wow. some. Um, some things, some new things that I've learned, not just about yeah. this band, which I uh, literally knew nothing about. Yeah, I think we should name um, the expense too. Uh, you mentioned that that there was a lot of studio work and that it took a long time. Um, there's yeah, there's a line in the Wikipedia article that it is rumored to have reached uh, a quarter of a million pounds, equivalent no today to almost half a million pounds in in cost. I think it wow. took them like two years to finish recording. Yes. They started in 1989. I can't imagine um, getting that much rope from a studio to from yeah. a record label to sort of take that much studio time. And then to just sort of be dropped after spending that much money is just such a, I don't know, a, a, I, I can't think of any parallel that we've covered so far. Uh to have a, uh, an, a label believe in you so much to give you that much time in the studio, uh, to have you spend that much money, to have the album not do terribly well <laughs> right. on the charts, and then get dropped. Like, it just is such a, an interesting, perfect storm of a lot of unique things. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think you're right. After so much time and so much money, um, t- 
to have very little fruit. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> return, return on that investment. I, I could understand maybe that could have been the reason why they were like, no, we're not doing this again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're hoping for this big payout, right? Oh, it's got to be good. Yeah. Can you imagine if this came out in 1989? Like, this does not sound like 80s music to me at all. Yeah. Like, this sounds like mid-90s stuff, and I'll get into that a little later. But um, Yeah, it, even for 91, I'm imagining it was pretty jarring. Because, uh, yeah, it, yeah. it oh, sounds yeah. sounds later in the decade, for sure. Okay, so, so the album artwork... Um, this feels like the 90s to me uh <laughs> and you're you're right if if they protested the name being on it it did go on but it's very small um everything's a very pink pinky magenta color yeah. with a bit of black it is an image you can barely see anything but it's an image of a a close-up of the guitar right at the base of the neck you can see uh what looks like pickup so it's an electric guitar uh, but it's very faded and overlapped with these colors. Mm-hmm. Um, and right in the bottom, all in lowercase, my bloody Valentine in this light pink magenta color. I, I didn't recognize this at all. No, I don't know if no. you did, Ben. I, I didn't. I've never seen no. it before. Um, no. Yeah, it's not a very, it's not really in your face. It's just kind of abstract and, again, an interesting choice. Um mm-hmm we've often said that that there's a lot of times the cover the cover design has nothing to do with the band at all you know it's the it's the album i i have a feeling that they were that you mentioned they were a little more involved in this mm-hmm. it's certainly an interesting choice um <laughs> yeah <laughs> love it or hate it yeah and it doesn't it doesn't say the name of the album anyway. right right and say love doesn't say loveless at all um, yeah so it looks like a filter. It looks like something you could do on Instagram. Um, oh, there's a, <laughs> a he- heavy filter, though. Like, yeah. <laughs> like it's very just like it's, this is the it's magenta like filter. You just skew all but the like colors. Like multiple, <laughs> multiple layers. Yeah. Because it's not like it's it's not a cl- it's not a clear image though either. Right. Like it's been right. uh, majorly distorted, uh, much yeah. like the sound. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So I want to move into kind of, we talked about interactions. Uh, this is a new album to, to both of us. I don't think I've ever listened to anything by the band. Do you, no. you have any experience with this band at all? Not until a few weeks back when we skimmed ahead and looked at them. Yeah. And I, I clicked on a few tracks on Spotify. So no, brand new to me. Immediately, I felt like I recognized that 90s sound, but it felt like the stuff that... It, Midnight, like you mentioned, Smashing Pumpkins, and I hear that. Um, I hear that kind of that distortion, that grungy sound. But I think a lot of those bands, um, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Stone Temple Pilots, some of the big grunge bands, like the the one thing that's common is a very strong, clear, straight out front vocal. Yeah, and that's not what we get here. And a we pretty get, clear uh, separation of instrumentation. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's uh, not that's here a, either. <laughs> that's a really good point that everything's very much blended together. Lots of heavy effects. I found it, it goes back and forth through the album between kind of a few songs are kind of just kind of a, a happy, almost like pop, alt pop tune, you know? Yep. 
you know, stuff like that. From that to like a really kind of abstract, distorted, uh, distorted vocal. Just you know, you're not there's not any main riffs. Um, nope. It's just kind of all almost almost ambient at times, mm-hmm. um, very atmospheric. Um, you can t- I feel like a lot of it feels like a ton of work has gone into it. <laughs> yes. You know, like when you see a yeah. piece of art that looks so simple and you find out that it took a person like two months to do it, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, it's like, wow, that's, and then you, okay, here's all, here's what made, oh, wow, I, I had no idea um, that it took that much to do that. That's what it, it feels, it feels like the mid 90s to me. Um, I've, I'm hearing the things that I heard in the mid 90s, which means yeah. the one of two things, either I'm really ignorant of early 90s music or... And I think I'm hoping it's the latter here that this band was just way ahead of their time. Yeah. And if if the music that they started making when they started recording this in 1989 sounded like the end product, then they were definitely way ahead of their time. <laughs> I can't think of anything that sounded like this in the late 80s. And I mean, maybe there's lots. There's people going, oh, well, there's this, you know, this indie band, this band, yeah. but this this pushes it through. Um, yeah. It's not at all what I would have expected, um, mm-hmm. and, and I'm not even sure what to compare it to with other things from from you know that era, from the '91 kind of era, because the bands that made it big, that I mentioned, kind of some of the grunge bands, they were either not formed or just starting out in the garage, yeah. in yeah. the in the basement. But I mean, this doesn't sound like, like Nirvana came out in '91, right? Um, never mind. Yeah, their second album. This doesn't sound like that. Nope. No, uh, it doesn't. You know, there's, there's, there's a few. Maybe the some of the guitar sounds were very, very different. Yeah. Sometimes, and maybe it's because of of uh, uh, Belinda Butcher's vocal on some of the tracks reminds me a bit of the Cranberries, especially some of the softer songs that Dolores Aurelio does. Kind of sound. Yeah. yeah. Um, like dreams um, or linger. Not maybe zombie, which is uh, a little a harsher vocal. Yeah. Um, and 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 my mind keeps going to a band from the mid '90s called Veruca Salt. And I don't know if you remember them at all, Ben. Um, the name is familiar. I can't. Yeah. Think of a they had a big. Right they, they had a big hit called uh, Volcano Girls, um, okay. which was more kind of uh, like Elastica or other kind of female uh, kind of grunge punk. Maybe a little, not electronica, but but definitely, you know, more of a mid late nineties thing. But I, mm-hmm. I I don't know why I kept thinking of that band. Maybe just because of a female vocal. But I uh, just again just just having a hard time comparing and placing this, especially in in an uh you know a nineteen eighty nine to ninety one setting. Like it's just outside of its time. Yeah. What did anything stand out to you when you listened to it? Uh, in, you know something in the music or a specific track well i think i'm i'm jiving with what you said about it sounds like a lot of work has gone into this Mm. um but because there's so much um effects and ambient sound it also sounds just like people jamming like i've been to i've been to festivals where you go to a side stage and there's just like you can tell that the the people on stage are nerdy for music because they're not really doing much besides twisting knobs, bending chords, 
and like just trying to make that dissonance sound good together. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. people are kind of bored, but it's good and it's technical and it's powerful. It just doesn't like like grab you. And I think this right. this is possibly great because it does grab you at times. But there are moments too where I feel myself thinking like these are these are people still experimenting. And I can hear right. yeah. some of my favorite bands that came later that took some of this dissonance and kind of popped it up a little bit. Like I think of Weezer okay. for some reason when I listen mm. to this. It's not because they sound the same, mm. but because Rivers loves sort of the power chord fuzz, especially on early stuff like Pinkerton and um, and yeah. making it yeah. musical. So like uh, right. this feels like the, the genesis of that what eventually would come like a decade later. Um, so, so it's, yeah, when I listen to this, I, I find myself thinking like, this is, this is interesting. It sounds like what came before. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a fascinating thing to be, to be wrestling with. Um, because I, I assumed like you, that it would be very different than this. <laughs> I thought, early 90s i thought we would get something a little like the cranberries especially with the irish similarity right Um, yeah uh you know you know other early 90s bands that that were big like rem i i thought oh maybe there'll be something in that um, yeah kind of avenue and and it's not that at all um no so so yeah this was a this is a surprise um uh i find myself both really captivated and also a little bored. Um, this is an oh, album that I, yeah. I think I could put on the background and not really know where I am in the album as I'm listening to it. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and an album that I could sit down with and and really spend a lot of time with each individual track and, and glean something from it too. And that's weird. That doesn't happen too often when we're going through this list. Uh, I maybe in this long rambly way, I'm saying I don't really know what to do with this or where it fits in my appreciation for this music. Um, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I don't know what, what else to say beyond uh, beyond that. I, again, I'm I'm agreeing with you. There, there's aspects of it that are it's so experimental and intriguing. Yeah. Um, and there's other aspects. It's kind of like, okay, where am I in this album? And it kind of blends into uh, into each other. And I think because at times it's not as melodic. Um, yes. Yes. And I think right. I, I think a lot of people and and you know I certainly put myself in this group. Um, we struggle when there's not that structure, that clear melody or riff. Mm-hmm. I do appreciate the uh, the experimental side of it. Mm-hmm. I do appreciate, but but it is challenging it, and it, it it's it's a it's a bold move. Um, yeah. Anytime you do that, right? We see people, we've seen bands who have done it. We've reviewed the albums where they struck gold, and then we see a band like this who clearly it's here for a reason, which we'll get into, and and has been influential. But also, we see that um, the album wasn't overly commercially successful. Right. The the label dropped them. Uh, the band broke up. So then are you asking yourself, did we make the wrong choice in kind of following our curiosity and our, and our creativity mm-hmm. uh, when we should have been trying to hit something else? I think that's, 
I'll, I'll, we've talked to musicians who have uh, expressed that. Like, do mm-hmm. I? We talked about musicians who have like I made. Even uh, we just reviewed Kate Bush, who was like, yeah. I did the first half of the album to be the catchy radio <laughs> part. The second half was what I wanted to do, um, yeah. was, was my expression, you know? So, so like we've, we hear this, we've heard this struggle before and I'm not saying mm-hmm. Kevin Shields and my blade Valentine had that struggle, but you kind of get the sense that, you know, they push the envelope on their creativity and experimentation, which is brilliant by the way. Yeah. But you, you could strongly argue it really didn't work out for them in the end. Yeah in terms of at least immediate success and and the continuation of their career at that time so it's an interesting balance what are you creating for is probably a good question for any band to be asking are you doing it for commercial success or are you doing it to create really good art and if you if you take two years at a project i'm guessing it's because you believe in what you're doing (laughs) yeah regardless of how well it sells um uh, so, you know, if this is their magnum opus, and I do get the sense, at least in the little bit of research, that, that uh, you know, whether, whether or not bands name them specifically, their sound, bits and pieces of it at least, you know, really trickled through the 90s. And even, oh, into, yeah. oh, for sure. even into music that I would have listened to, you know, in the early 2000s as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I... Heck, there's probably still someone playing at a bar in my small college town tonight that's got a pedal board in front of their guitar player, and if you gave him permission, would just like spend 20 minutes, yeah, uh, <laughs> you just, know, just, just playing about. with the distortion and yes. and bending the neck and you know things yeah. like that. Absolutely, I'm glad you mentioned uh, bending the neck because. Uh, Kevin Shields is noted to use a technique where he he uses his uh, tremolo bar, which I guess similar to a whammy bar that bends the strings, uh, while he plays. And, and oh, it cool. was it's even a was a term was coined like glide glide chords or glide something. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, that he they used throughout throughout the album. Yeah, so interesting. I wanna I wanna come back to that and kind of how how it how it translates to today but that's kind of a later segment um we should go ahead and pick some songs here if you're new to the podcast we want you to know that we have uh, a playlist on spotify called sound logic favorites every time we review an album we pick two tracks to represent that album so ben i mean we're still getting used to this this album but if you could pick a track what what one would you pick and again, they do. Some of them do kind of blend together. But what, what would you uh, go with? Yeah, I'm tempted to uh, pick "Touched" um, simply because this line in the Wikipedia article uh, sounds like a drunken fight between a syrupy Disney soundtrack and an Eastern mantra. <laughs> <laughs> and that's like a one-minute um, instrumental. Instrumental, track. yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Interesting. I think. <laughs> a funny I think comment. I'm gonna go with. Um, yeah, I think I'm gonna go with "Blown a Wish." Um, okay. It is a. It is a bit more of that ethereal cranberries-esque vocal, um, and and maybe maybe a little bit more of a radio-friendly, you might say. <laughs> track than some of the other stuff that's here but i think that's the one that 
when it would come on, I'd pause me like, oh, what is what is this one? Yeah, I'll, I'll let, let me hear what you pick, too, and then I might go back with a, a few of my other favorites here. <laughs> one thing we didn't mention, I should mention, there was only one single, and that's the opening track, uh, Only Shallow. Yeah, and I, I get the impression that the band was kind of forced to pick one. They sort of felt like, right. this is something that stands on its own. Don't make us pick a, <laughs> yeah. a single here. <laughs> was it Kid A that they didn't have any singles by Radiohead? Oh, maybe. Yeah, it's not the first uh, band that, that has released this album and no singles. The track I'm going to pick is I Only Said, um, and it's okay. got this... I like that one, too. Heavy power chords, but it's got this repeating... I think it's a guitar line, but it almost sounds like something between a guitar and a violin. It's uh, kind of a... That, that yeah. sound, you know, that's the line and it repeats over and over, but it's such a unique sound um, yeah. that it just kind of, it really sets the tone for the song. Honorable mention to the track before that, When You Sleep, I think would be my my uh, my runner up. But um, <laughs> yeah, we'll go with I Only Said. I like um, so as, as we move kind of through the music band to conclusions, um, and if you've listened to us before, we, we talk about kind of how it translates to today. So I want to ask, in a, maybe a different way than we have before, what parts of this album have aged well and what haven't? Hmm. Uh, I, I found this a really hard question to answer, but but what I came up with was, you know, I think you can find parallels in today's music to just about everything they've done on this album. Because if you listen to modern pop and, and hip-hop, certainly everybody's voice is distorted. I'm not just talking about auto-tune. Like, starting with, you know, um, Justin Timberlake's Sexy Back in 2006, where his voice was heavily distorted. And I heard it, and I was like, what is this junk? <laughs> and, and his comment was, I think this is what music's going to be like. Yeah, um, right. And it didn't happen like the next year, but he wasn't wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like yeah. everybody does that now. Mm -hmm. So you can hear that the guitars and playing with the guitars. Like you can, I think we go in and out. I think there was a time maybe 10 years ago where it really, you know, uh, bluegrass and folk and things like, you know, uh, indie folk and even a band like Mumford and Sons, which became huge, which was very much, uh, you know, bare bones, uh, you know, acoustic guitar and fiddle and banjo and mandolin. But you have weaving in and out like these moments of, of crazy electric and totally produced stuff. So I think that the guitar, that stuff, um, this kind of atmospheric sound, I think there's a lot of music. So I think there's different aspects, maybe done in slightly different ways now, but there's aspects of things that, that they do on this album that are used in lots of different genres today. And maybe, yep, yep. Uh, could you point to a genre or a specific band or type of music that sounds just like this? Maybe not. Maybe in a specific, like kind of alt rock area right now. But, um, but I think a lot of what they were doing has been replicated and, and has evolved in different ways. I would, I would agree with that. I find myself thinking about uh, our recent conversation, I guess when we were talking about Steely Dan. Our guest Don Brightup said uh, something like, 
you know, there is no, there is no relevance um, because everything is popular to someone right now or something along those lines. Yeah, true. And, yep. and so what has aged well, what hasn't, um, I think what usually doesn't age well is, is production values and yep. the production values are here. Um, yeah. Is it a good production value? The sound does sound like it's from the 90s. Mm -hmm. um, and I can't quite put my finger on what exactly it is. If it's just the kind of crunchy guitar that was in vogue for that time. Um, I, this comment about it, it being recorded in mono is fascinating too because yeah, I think there's just so much noise going on that I, even if it was recorded in stereo, I don't know that I would notice anything different <laughs> um, because it, it is so in, uh, enveloping. I'll have to give a bit more thought to what is aged well, what has not. Uh, I'm I'm surprised that I, it can feel both somewhat dated and like I could imagine it being made today. <laughs> right. <laughs> All the yeah. same, in the same album. Yeah. 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 I get that kind of, I don't want to say conflict, but like this back yeah. and forth of like yes. a lot of mm -hmm. different things happening. So we move from that to, you know, this is, uh, this, uh, according to this list, the 73rd best album ever. Yeah. What do you think about that ranking, Ben? It was at 219 way back in 2003 and then 221 yeah, in the okay. 2012 list. So it's been on this list before. It's been given some honor before. To me, this album is here for its influence. Uh, yeah. And, and not because... Well, it's not here for sales. That's, that's for sure. <laughs> it's not here for sales. It's not here because you continue to hear it, you know, on... on radio stations that play 90s rock and so i for bands that wind up here because of their impact i have a harder time justifying a ranking like this in the top 100 i think that a fan of this music could probably convince me that it is in fact great and here's why yeah uh, i feel a little like i'm missing part of that narrative and so to me this feels high I, i'm surprised to see it this high on the list i guess i would say <laughs> I don't have a whole lot to add to that because that's my thought. <laughs> and we've come across some of the, these albums that like yeah. are so influential and seem to really influence musicians yes, and other acts that have come along. I have struggled as we've gone through this to, I know we've said greatness and, and success don't necessarily mean the same thing. However, yeah. <laughs> yeah. when you're talking about a greatest list and doing only 500, which is a small number relative to the albums that have been released in the last 70 years. There's been tens of thousands, probably hundreds of thousands. Um, even if they're not all very popular, I'm a little confused when I see an album that didn't have much success. The band split up after because you know, the, the label draw. like I find it inter I find it very interesting. It's an interesting yeah. album. It's I'd like to listen to it again and dig it and spend yeah. a little more time with it. Especially if if what we're listening to in the mid '90s was influenced by this, then yeah. then yeah, I totally get it. Yeah. Uh, but I I just I, the jump to me is a little perplexing to go from 220 up to 73. Yeah. Like what changed? What changed in the in the polling in the voting or in the editing? of this list in the last nine years that would cause this to vault up so much when it's yeah. not like 
not like I've had more people, you know, saying like, Hey, uh, have you heard this album? You know, like, yep. I don't know. I, I, I guess I'm a little confused. I mean, I, I'm sure there's a good answer out there. Yeah, I, I just don't, yeah. I don't have it. Um, yes. so I, I, str- that's maybe I struggle what we're with missing it. Is that, is that anecdotal evidence? Because I, I ran into that this week. Like, yeah. uh, I asked, uh, good friends of ours who spent several years living in Ireland, what they thought of my bloody Valentine thinking, well, if they're on this list, they must be an Irish treasure. Yeah. And they said, what, what band is that? And why should I know about them? It's like, they're, they, they're they hadn't even heard of them. They hadn't even heard they of them. They hadn't heard of them. Um, wow. Yeah. Now, they're, they're huh, not interesting. They're not, I don't think people who would call themselves music nerds in the way that we might be. So, you know, who knows? Maybe if you or I had gone over, we might've dug a little deeper. Uh, I mentioned them to another friend who said, Oh yeah, I think I really like that band. I was like, Oh great. Do you want to be on our, our podcast? And he said, wait a second. Uh, you talking about bullet for my Valentine? And I was like, no, no, I'm not. He's like, cause they're a Welsh heavy metal band, uh, from the oh. UK. And I was like, Oh, okay. Uh, so, so yeah, I don't know. I, I was trying to like find some, be- and I know we've had some incredible guests who are probably shouting at their podcasts app right now saying, Ben, I know all about them, you know, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that, that probably has changed how I understand their impact or lasting legacy or, or something like that and deserve it place on this list then, um, uh, because of all that. Right. Yeah. That's so interesting. So I, I guess I guess a lot of it's kind of just ignorance then for me, perhaps, um, in not really understanding its place, uh, and uh, I, I would expect something like this to be you know in the two hundreds, three hundreds, like important but not um, top one hundred, um, and like right. significant and and a, and a part of the history of the music that we love today. You know, I expect to find those kind of more obscure or at least obscure to me albums as we get into the 200s and 300s right like that's what that's what i expected right right when we started this like oh yeah for the first little while i'll i'll at least have heard of everything if not if i haven't listened to it and then we'll get into some stuff that's like i've never heard of i didn't expect that you know like when we got to number 40 on the first list which is like uh, forever changes by love which is like i've never even heard of this band and it's the 40th best album of all time like right right i didn't expect that to happen until further on that's kind of how i feel here like oh 73 really yeah um but but anyways i i don't mean to say that to bash it i just i just again don't don't quite understand i guess the scope of their influence uh, to see why it's here um, yep. please let us know if you if you think you have a good handle of why <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> leave absolutely. us a voice leave us a voicemail or, or send us a, a message uh, we, we'd be happy to, to engage you on that note unfortunately uh, this is the only album on the list for my bloody Valentine yeah I'll be interested when we get to our re-rank for this block if if either of us has listened to this again since this review yeah. if we we find ourselves drawn back to it um we'll see what time does for that yeah for sure uh what do we got coming up next week ben definitely switching gears uh (laughs) number 74 takes us to kanye's debut the college dropout yeah very different um (laughs) (laughs) our second second album we've reviewed by kanye so yeah i'm looking forward to discussing that with you my friend 
Absolutely. Until that time, we hope you continue to be well. We hope you take care of yourselves and those important to you. And of course, we hope you'll join us again right here on the Sound Logic Podcast. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you like what you hear, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and write a review. Send us a message at our Facebook page, on Instagram, or through our Sound Logic Podcast Twitter feed. Thanks for listening.